0: Good morning. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of the Future of Email Marketing, and this is like the this is like the podcast buddies um, uh, conversation because Jen Capstraw of uh, many parts of email, including Women of Email, but also host of a podcast herself, is my guest today. Welcome, Jen.
1: Thank you, Doctor Dunn. Hey, we,
0: we finally we finally get to connect. You are a uh, sort of long and you're a storied figure in email. You're one of the co-founders of Women of Email, right?
1: That's right. Founded in 2016, but I sent my first campaign in 2002. So celebrating 20 years of email this year.
0: (laughs) And a background in journalism before that, I think you told me as we were chatting beforehand, right?
1: Yeah, I started in radio and TV. So I spent about five years doing that. Did not like TV. Really enjoyed radio, so podcasting is fun for me. Oh, I'll bet. Um, yeah. And I did a little bit of everything. I was a co host of a morning show on a 100,000 watt station in the Savannah market. I was assistant news director for a seven station radio group. Uh, I did traffic <laughs> reports, I did weather reports, I did commercials, I did uh, live remotes. They would just send me to places to yeah. do live commercials and try to draw people to wherever I was. So usually that was hanging out at a uh, beach bar in Tybee Island. <laughs> Come hang out with me and right. have a and, drink and, and hang out with the band.
0: Be on the radio. So it's a very interesting perspective to have, having you know, journalism, then email. What What's your... What's your take on your former profession? What's the state of journalism now? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> mean. <laughs> I'm, I'm not
1: sure a lot of journalism exists anymore.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: you know, back in the 90s, I don't remember having any awareness of bias in media, like like very obvious, leaning yeah. left, leaning right, more yeah. conservative, more yeah. progressive. It, it wasn't something that was on my radar whatsoever and um a few years after i got out of the biz my then spouse turned on fox news and it was just on for a few minutes and i was like is it legal for them to say that on tv <laughs> like what is this what is this and i feel like the conservative media has it kind of in it created the more liberal media media right there was like a, a, the counteracting force like i don't remember cnn being yeah. super biased in the 90s and the early aughts but we definitely see that very liberal bend now and it, it just is kind of a counterpoint to conservative media it seems like
0: and 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 you did something etymologically very interesting there we were talking about journalism and then we're talking about media and they're not the same thing but they've been they've become very inseparable, right?
1: I guess so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Cause, and, and I agree with you. I mean, I think I'm older than you are. I no, I am. Uh, yeah, we, we weren't talking about bias in the media. Was there? Probably. But it was kind of like one big square bias. Like there used to be one big square telephone company. And now pfft, fractured and and, uh, and you, you've really got to check your sources and wait, who do I listen to? And uh, if you don't, if you don't share the same media as someone, you're literally not talking from the same from any sort of shared worldview. And it makes it fricking tough, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Um, and, you know, I can't remember ever trying to infuse a personal point of view into anything that I did when I was a journalist. Like, here's the you information. You tried to be objective, right? it didn't even occur to me to be anything but objective right right yeah and yeah. Uh, but i guess people were still kind of gullible back then my news director came in one day and he had a letter from his grandchild's daycare that said that um there was a flesh eating virus on bananas going around. And so you're no longer permitted to drop off the the kids with bananas as snacks. And he he gives me this letter and he's like, oh, this is a big deal. You need to do a story about the flesh eating bacteria on bananas. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) if, if bananas were going to kill us, do you think they'd be in the grocery store? That's not how this works, man. Like how are you, the news director? So eh, quality journalism. Anyway, I, I think I, I, Snopes existed back then. I think I found an article on Snopes. This was just kind of a, one of those early yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. conspiracy theories that needed debunking. But it was yeah. circulating in, in like uh, paper form. It was literally yeah. it was being printed out and, and handed out to uh, parents and grandparents.
0: Uh, you know we 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 always had the capacity to pass baloney along, but we didn't have the reach with said baloney that we do now the planetary reach my uh my 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 wife um my wife is a journalist originally as well um and ended up in marketing and arts marketing but so she made that sort of same. You know, no, you're not going to be a hard boiled reporter with a cigar between your teeth, honey, because that just doesn't work that way anymore. But she's got a sense of the, uh, you know, of of the 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 notion of journalistic standards that were were sort of front and center when she was learning her trade, and we'll 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 end up on that topic frequently as we look at this really fractured landscape for information and knowledge and fact and. Alternative fact I choke as I say that and all of that kind of stuff (laughs) and it's it's more complicated and and as you and I are speaking now day after International Women's Day um, We're seeing this play out live in Russia Where what this what the people inside that country know of what's happening in Ukraine? We would say is probably not that factual right?
1: well their internet is getting cut cut off, right? Like first it was some social media being shut down in Russia and now they're going to be isolated from access to the full internet. Yes. That's terrifying.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's And that's, you know, we're talking about this 25 or so year span where both of us have been around things like email and where we did have sort of a planetary network for a stretch and now we don't. And Russia is going to be the most visible exit from that. Yeah. Why is it terrifying?
1: Yeah. Because when you don't have access to information, what what can you possibly believe? Hmm. How do you know what the truth is? I mean, is Russia about to become North Korea? Is it going to become that isolated?
0: Pretty good analogy. Yeah.
1: Um, and is it is it going to be forever? Is it going to be a short-term thing? Are... Or- there must be some awareness, there's got to be a contingent of folk. like I've definitely heard that there are people who are protesting the war. Um, so there, there is definitely a demographic that has some awareness of the <laughs> what we would consider facts about see, what's happening yeah. over yeah. there. Yeah. And so what's what is the response going to be? Will yeah. there be revolution? I don't know. Yeah. But what yeah. a yeah. moment in history.
0: Yeah, it, it it it's a strange sensation. I thought we were past this, and obviously we're not. And I mean, you can you can pin it on you know the one guy the one guy kicking all of it off, but at the same time, there's some pretty big dynamics at play that make it you know make it possible and and uh, and are limiting are limiting the response uh, from countries outside of U- Ukraine right now. True, true odd story. I was on a conference. You you must know Jordy Van Ryn. Of course. Of course. Jordy contacted me yesterday. He's doing a bunch of terrific outreach. He's based in Amsterdam. Doing a bunch of terrific outreach to try and and help, particularly the email companies that are in Ukraine, which there are quite a few of. But I was chatting with Jordy, and he was rattling through some of that. He said, Stripe, and I said, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to talk with him. It'll be great to... Do an integration between campaign genius and your editor and he said oh okay i'll connect you with dimitri and i'm like i said because they're based in ukraine and he's like oh yeah they're like shipping code as the shells fall and literally two hours after you and i finished talking i'm gonna be on a call with dimitri from ukraine to talk about integration which makes me just kind of go wow they're yeah. they're continuing to work in the middle of this
1: Wow. it's wild yeah I, and I know um a couple months ago you interviewed April mullen I know she's mm-hmm. been in touch with him and you know she's been pretty worried about him it it he he's someone who is very known in the industry yeah. and it is yeah. very scary that one of our own is going through this but I guess um it's good that it's sort of business as usual at the same time glad that you know he hasn't had to shut down or anything but well, yeah, his safety he, is is very concerning <laughs>
0: concerning he hasn't hasn't had to shut down jordy said look uh, the best thing we can do for them in some senses is to try to keep doing business and keep revenue flowing it's like all people wonderful people who are booking airbnbs in ukraine with no intent of staying there but dimitri who i've not met yet um has another business eSputnik.ru. <laughs> that's Pretty much blown up, right? Let's see. Russian customers, yeah, not so much of that anymore. Sputnik, maybe not the best brand uh, on the world market right now, so I'm sure he's trying to figure out where to take the you know, assets customer base from that in this, in this blown up world landscape, in this quick re- restructuring that we're trying to pull off
1: he is a scrappy savvy businessman so i know that he'll figure it out
0: Yeah, yeah 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 well it's like he represents he represents the way his country is conducting themselves scrappy savvy we're 14 days in and they are by no means done yet and like yay go you know go ukraine we're on your side right so, Absolutely. let's let's dot this back to email. I'll give, you, I'll, I'll give you an off-ramp and then we'll get there. Here's the off-ramp. I read the other day that some country, I want to say Lithuania, but that's not as big as my state, maybe it was Lithuania, are, are t- where there's a significant uh, Russian expat population, are, launched a project to try and make, I believe the target was 40 million phone calls to friends and relatives in Russia, Russian speakers, talking to Russian speakers to say, yeah, what you're hearing on the news is not the truth. Here's what's actually happening. They're trying to do it via telephone, which I thought was interesting. What's the role for email in this change in the information landscape between nations?
1: I wish I knew. (laughs) I mean, if the Internet is shut down, are our messages going to reach Russia? I don't question know one. if email is going to be an open channel for us. I'm Big sure question. it's been used extensively, you know. Right now, um, I also, when I did hear that, you know, Facebook and Twitter access was becoming limited, um, I did hear that WhatsApp is wide open still. So that is still uh, an option for communication.
0: And Telegram's hard to stop
1: telegrams do they exist no telegram <laughs> Tele-
0: telegram the platform
1: i'm not familiar with that platform
0: Oh, te- telegram is fascinating telegram is functionally somewhat like whatsapp it's a private messaging platform but the two brothers behind it are russian they built what's what became sort of the facebook of russia and i forget the name of the platform but they basically got sideways with the oligarchs their platform started to get a T- was taken away from them, and they said, "The heck with you guys!" Left the country, and founded Telegram, which is this quite secure messaging platform. In theory, end-to-end encrypted, and it has the capability to do things like let's make a room for two hundred thousand people on this particular topic. And it's it's very instrumental in what's happening right now. Is it blocked in Russia? I don't know, but I, from what I've read, technologically, it's hard to block. Um, so, yeah, mess- other messaging channels, including email, may be playing a role in information flow in and out of that country. But we don't really know, do we?
1: No. And I, I've been wondering, um, you know, are people going to be turning to, like, some kind of satellite connections? Uh, are they going to be able to get their hands on the equipment to, like, tap into that? I don't know. Uh, I, I, just, I feel like the people will figure it out. Right? Yeah. They're going to find the workarounds. People are smart. People are survivors. People are
0: smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: I just can't imagine this is permanent. You know, if if this happened 20 years ago, mm -hmm. it would be a different situation. But it's happening now in this information age and cutting off information. It's not going to go over too well with a lot of people. I can't imagine.
0: Put an asterisk beside... Your monitor that says watch for the S at the end. When we start seeing internets show up more and more, we'll have we'll have hit a new time. Because there are there are internets plural right now. If you look at information flow in China versus not. If you look at information flow in North Korea versus not. Like some of the same protocols, but not this not the same, you know, meshed network that all of these many services right on top of. Russia's been prepping for close to a decade to be able to cut themselves off. They've gone so far as try to have their own DNS servers. And if they can pull that off, that's, that's like, you know, that's taking the rug out from under structurally. I don't know that they're all the way there yet, but they're trying to get there and they're trying to get there fast now.
1: Well, it's undermining their economy. So, I mean, if you what are, economy? <laughs> I mean, what, what, there are a lot of rich people in Russia, right? That's true. And yeah, and yeah. there, when your rich people start moving, losing money, yeah. uh, that that's not going to go over too well. No,
0: it's not going to go over too well. It's not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 ruble, right? Crash of the ruble. Um, I wonder if that nation. Here we are. Geopolitics, right? <laughs> They're going to end up like agrarian 19th century economy for the most part. Um, and the lifeline at the moment is their petroleum exports. And if we get you know ticked enough, will we cut that off? Biden just, what, yesterday said that's it, the U.S.? Cause that, and we're not the biggest buyer by a long shot because there's oceans in the way and stuff like that. But that's the beginning of a movement. If, if the EU can wean itself off, then that economic well- lifeline...
1: There is a tech industry in Russia. It exists. Like uh, there are ESPs in Russia. Um, We've got members of women of email in Russia.
0: And I was going to ask. And
1: we can't, you know, just cutting them off from the world and destroying their businesses is, it's not going to go over well. (laughs) I just, I can't imagine that this is, this feels like this is a road bump. This is not a permanent thing.
0: I sincerely hope that, your instinct is right I really do because it an island economy just doesn't seem like a great equation right now I mean you mentioned North Korea that's that's probably the best current example of it they don't really trade that much they don't really you know import export even information flow not so much right is and and you have people more or less starving to death there on a frequent basis it would be a shame to see such a large innovative successful nation as Russia, end up in that same state. At the same time, I don't think they should get to do what they're doing and continue to play on the field with every all the other kids.
1: Well, the world police have agreed with you.
0: Yeah. Astonishingly quickly, right? Astonishingly yeah. quickly. Wow, that was a fast response. God, that's probably good. And we've not done that before either we've not actually cut accounts and I'm waiting for some yachts to start sinking, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: this, the world has changed. You know, you can't be a shameless capitalist anymore. There's an obligation that comes with power and leadership. And we're seeing that exercised, right? There are, companies that are taking losses to be a part of stopping this yeah. war stopping yeah. this yeah. attack right they're yeah. pulling out of russia and that costs them money right yep. that and they're they're choosing to do the right thing so it's um the where we are technologically in the world combined with this this trend toward um greater empathy and greater you no know, greater understanding of people who are different than us all of us is like combining together into this moment in time and that's what makes gives me a hope that this just doesn't i don't think that people are going to just roll over and accept this situation because they, they have are used to being connected to the world
0: hmm. yeah. And, yeah and this is
1: an unacceptable change
0: right yeah yeah it, And and We've not tried to go back from that connectedness until this moment right we've not seen a large number of people or at least those nominally in charge of a large number of people say no 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 well let's let's cut the cord we'll be fine and and I'm I, I've got to think it'd be very very hard to say goodbye to if you're inside if you're inside uh, a country getting cut off how do you say goodbye to that global reach for knowledge, relationships, information exchange that you had for probably most of your life, right? Relatively young, relatively young populace there, like seeing that go away seems like I'm amazed they'd stand for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm, I knew got... we were going to go down this path. I would have would have brushed up on the news. I've just got like <laughs> what little bit of information I get from my NPR podcast in
0: the morning. <laughs> well, I mean, well, you 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 know, you you're ex journalists right? Like we're we're simultaneously so much more informed and so much less knowledgeable than we were. It seems like, right? You know, there are four or five monitors staring at me, right? Do I really know what's going on? I, I don't know. <laughs> right? I don't know. Cuz cuz the amount of information on just one topic is overwhelming by itself, right? Keeping up with one industry email. So, it you know, can be almost overwhelming. Women of Email has members in Russia, you said?
1: Yes. Yeah, and you Ukraine. Guys are
0: 6 6,000? 6, I I think is that correct?
1: Yeah, over six thousand. And last time I checked, I think it was sixty six countries. That's
0: really something. Congratulations. I know that Thanks. doesn't just happen. Right? Took work, took vision, took, took cooperation. A lot of work. Yeah, yeah, a lot of work, right? Five oh one C three, nonprofit uh, entity, yes? Yes. Oh, cool. Cool. And do you, you're on the I know you're on the board or something like that. Like do you have an active day to day role? In, um, in the org?
1: Well, the, the organization is 100% volunteer run. Okay. And um, so the board is a working board. Everybody okay. is contributing in some way. Yeah. And uh, most of the board members are sponsoring some kind of a program. You know, we've got one person who sponsors the uh, speakers bureau and does most of the speaker matching Another person who's sponsoring um, career programming Um, and another person sponsoring social events and meetups. So everyone kind of has a little area of responsibility. Nobody gets paid. (laughs) We don't have much money. (laughs) And um, I'm, I guess, basically operations, um, I'm
0: pretty busy. Pretty busy. <laughs> so, okay. So yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Well, let's let's pick on a women' email. We'll get off geopolitics for at least a minute uh, and talk about email. Uh, I, I'm I'm from Colorado originally. Colorado was the first state about a year ago to add the requirement that job postings have salary at the bottom. Washington, where I live now, is actually looking at doing the same thing. And I saw you just announced like yesterday, International Women's Day. That women of emails headed same direction right compensation has to be part of a job description if it's going to be shared via via your organization is that correct
1: exactly we started encouraging that transparency a couple of years ago maybe three years ago um we get uh, contacted by a lot of hiring managers and recruiters who want us to share their job posts with our community yeah and and we do that and we do that free of charge and during uh, a meeting one week, um, Kristen Bond, one of the other co-founders said, well, why don't we just start asking them for comp information? Let's yeah. make it mandatory. If you're asking the board to mm-hmm. share your post, mm-hmm. then um, the board member that they're dealing with, or or if they're filling out the form that's on our website, it's mandatory. We're just, we're not going to share it if you don't tell us. And we, we, instituted that policy. We got a little bit of pushback here and there, but most of the time companies were pretty cool about it. Recruiters were pretty cool about it. And then we started really encouraging it on within the community. So when a member was to post an opportunity, there was no obligation for them to do it, but we started normalizing it Mm -hmm. and normalizing the idea of asking what is the compensation. Mm -hmm. And I used positive reinforcement To continue to encourage the activity. So for a number of years, every single time someone posted a job and it included salary, I replied, thank you for posting salary. Thank you for posting salary. Thank you for posting salary. And doing that a gazillion times over several years, it worked. People started doing it all the time. And then if it wasn't posted, then members would ask, well, do you know the salary? What's the compensation? They started asking point blank. Yeah, And so then our friends who are the administrators of the Email Geeks Slack community, yeah. they heard that we were doing this and they were not seeing a lot of folks sharing compensation And so they made an announcement a few months ago that compensation was gonna become mandatory because of what we were doing. And um, they had a 30 day grace period. And then after that 30 day period, they would just delete any post that did not include comp. And we were like, well, we have not actually made this mandatory. Oh okay. <laughs> but they thought we did, which made it easy for them to say, "Hey, we're following Women of Emails lead." Yeah. And then it made it really easy for us to go, "Well, we're going to go all in on this too because hey, Email Geeks is doing it." <laughs> so it was actually a little bit of a It mistake. was them. It was them. <laughs> and we've been talking about it for a while, and International yeah. Women's Day seemed like an appropriate time to make that announcement. Mm-hmm. The yeah. theme this year was what was the hashtag? Break the bias. Is that and this? Yes, yes. I kept, that, I kept
0: seeing that. Sorry, crossing my arms if you're listening.
1: <laughs> exactly. So hashtag break the bias. And you know, bias is often the reason that women are not getting top dollar offers and uh opportunities yeah, to yes. um to ascend into leadership positions from mm-hmm. whatever role they're currently in. And uh, so, yeah, we're like, let, this is a good time to say we're going to do something. We're going to continue to bring more transparency to to what is competitive in our industry. And since we started a few years ago really encouraging that transparency, I don't know how many folks have said to me, I have been able to um, double my salary, increase it by 50% by to 100%. And a couple of people told me that they have tripled their salary, and at first that feels very like heartwarming and rewarding that these people are making so much more money. But it also lets you know they were grossly, grossly underpaid in a it to be able to triple their compensation. So hmm.
0: we know yeah. we know
1: that we have we've definitely led the charge on this. We've definitely created change. Um, Litmus does a survey each year, uh, women in email, I think it's what it's called. And we we did a lot of uh, social media announcements about this new posting policy yesterday. And there's a link to the Litmus, the last Litmus survey that um, quantified what the wage gap is. Mm-hmm. And since women of email was organized, the survey results are showing a shrinking wage gap, which is incredible. And we, we do want to take some credit for that but yeah. the wage gap does still exist what is it now um 94 cents on the dollar in okay. email specifically In
0: email specifically okay there
1: could be a survey bias there because folks who are most likely to fill out that survey tend to be embedded in email communities and yeah. have access to more information have access to more um support from the community. And those folks are probably going to be most likely to get top dollar to really negotiate effectively. And folks who maybe are not so aware of those communities and those resources Mm -hmm. uh, might still be suffering. So the, the, wage gap that is being quantified currently is probably a little bit biased by people who are very active in communities because they're the ones who are going to be aware of these surveys because they're promoted pretty widely there. But um, it does appear that the wage gap is shrinking, but the explanation, the primary explanation for it appears to be women are not ascending beyond the manager level at the same rates that men are. So when you ascend into more senior leadership, obviously you're going to make more money and it's just there's not equal representation of men and right. women right. beyond the manager point.
0: Right, right, yeah, yeah. So I I, I get to pick on her again because she's my favorite person in the world. But my, my my wife, birthday International Women's Day. So I always know when International Women's Day is because her birthday is yesterday. Um she was she she was in an MBA program. She did an MBA. At a women's only MBA program at Simmons College, it doesn't it doesn't really exist in that in that form um, anymore. So she was, you know, she was clued in, tuned in early on, relatively speaking, lifespan uh, to wait a minute. This is like this is cockamamie, and 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 has been sort of helped me tune into the fact that structurally we're 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 still not we haven't leveled the playing field all the way up to the proverbial glass ceiling, which I think is what you're saying. I think I could be wrong, but demographics is destiny. I think if you look at higher ed enrollment patterns alone, that that's going to continue to change because the supply of educated men is getting pretty freaking tiny proportionately. You know, it's, you know, it's three to, it's like, Two and a half or three to one on a lot of campuses I now. I didn't
1: know it was that predominantly female. Oh. I knew that there were more oh. women completing their degrees than oh. men, but I don't really know the stats on.
0: Average it. college campus is a two to one ratio right now. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I and I got I've got two sons. One just the second one just finishing college, so I'm sort of current on the college enrollment stats. It's like, wow. Yeah, like really quite a big, like oh almost tectonic shift there and just run it forward. So like, how many, how many, uh, how, sorry, I'll I'll put my higher ed bias out here. How many folks who can't even get through college do I expect to see in the C-level seat? Not that many of them, right? Bill Gates is an exception, sorry. Uh, so from that perspective, the supply of women in the workforce with uh, thinking skills, education, communication skills they get from education is is actually going to, outpace. And hopefully that's going to be part of the factor that makes this level out.
1: But that also means there are more women saddled with education debt. And I'm hearing more and more folks say in the industry, do you need a college degree to do email? You really don't. right? Nobody's teaching it. It's not something you can learn and right. then move yeah. into a job. Like nobody nobody is like, oh, my ambition is to be an email marketing strategist sure. or a developer or whatever.
0: You couldn't study. You couldn't. Jenna Divini's, uh post the other day. Like she could. You couldn't study it if you wanted to. Most places is not a program. Yes, Yeah. But that's uh, that's a very topic specific thing to ask for. You don't have a background in email. I don't have a background in email. And here we are. <laughs> Working, nobody, has right? nobody has a
1: background in email. Right, nobody has <laughs> act background
0: in email. But do the do the things I learned or the badge that says, has the stubbornness to complete degree factor into being able to do what I do? Absolutely.
1: I don't know. I I, I would say that everything that I have learned that has contributed to my success in the email industry mm-hmm. was after college. Mm-hmm. So if someone was, but but I had had a natural savvy for for like problem solving Mm -hmm. and never taking no for an answer. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: email is a puzzle. Email you have to work within such bizarre constraints and things that you can't control. It's difficult to do, and that's not for everyone. But those of us who love this industry, Mm -hmm. we're we're drawn to that. Yeah. And when you walk Mm -hmm. into an email event there's no strangers in that room. Everyone, there's, there's a little bit of a like-mindedness despite our our diverse backgrounds and so forth. But um, yeah, you're among friends. Like I was just at unspam last month and yeah, it's, it's old friends and and new friends and you're, you're never with strangers. It's a beautiful community, like very supportive and very like-minded. So I don't know if there's any reason that we we should even continue to see job specs even mention an undergraduate degree.
0: But you just narrowed down a whole bunch from a broad observation on my part that the supply of educated women in the workforce, not just email, is going to be a lot bigger. So we, if we rabbit hole on higher ed, good, bad, dying or not we'll never end up back on an email and i'd rather stay on email but it'd be an interesting one <laughs> to discuss over a beer because it really is a, it really is a an incredible shift right now that we're grappling with 66 percent of software developers are self-taught no comp sci degree
1: i i made a um, a meme because i try to do that sometimes so that i can be <laughs> young and journalism's hair. revenge <laughs> and there it, there's this image of a dog with his own leash in his mouth, he's walking himself Mm -hmm. and it's pinned at the top of my Twitter right now. And the caption I put on it was, you know, learning email marketing. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody teaches you email marketing.
0: Email marketing. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a guild, right? I mean, as I've, as I've started to learn the space in the last few years and started to meet people and it's a bit of a, I, I one all the personal connections which you talked about, um, no strangers in the room, and and many of them seem to have you know gotten in, gotten hooked, started learning from so and so, moved on to another job, but stayed in touch with so and so. It's like, and and eventually they're they're in and they're gonna ha- probably not gonna go somewhere else because most other industries are, are are rude and nasty by comparison <laughs> and not as fascinating, right?
1: Well, I've got some theories about the people in our industry. Like we all fell in. Nobody made the conscious choice to transition their career in this direction. And I feel like we're just, um, we're a group of misfits who didn't really fit in anywhere else. Like We had some kind of problem-solving savvy. We're probably already in marketing in some capacity. And we kind of got tossed the scraps. We didn't get tossed like the sexy <laughs> channel, like, oh, not it's not social. It's, uh, you know, it's not content. Email's a necessary evil. Someone's got to do it. So we're going to toss it to you. And that kind of person who mm-hmm. th- it discovers it's so much more. Mm-hmm. It, it Once you really dig in, it can mm-hmm. be the most complex channel, the highest ROI channel. Mm-hmm. It can be deeply rewarding if mm-hmm. you, are into, you know, a continuous uphill into. struggle to <laughs> make it perfect, which email will never be perfect. Um, and, and so the, I think that's part of the reason we all, there are no strangers in our communities because we're all a little bit different from the mainstream to start with. And that's how we all fell in here together. I also have a theory that there are a lot of neurodivergent folks in our industry.
0: Oh, fascinating. Yeah, Yeah.
1: I, I, and uh, the more I, I speak out about it, the more people are going, oh, yeah, yeah, me too. Me Interesting. too. Interesting. I got in late, a late in life diagnosis that explained everything about my entire life, uh, every success, every failure. And um, I interviewed maybe a dozen people last year. It was private Interviews in preparation for a presentation that I did at the EIQ conference about I, I called it uh, emails secret super brains, and I think there is a disproportionately high percentage of folks who are. Um, on the autism spectrum, ADHD, dyslexic, dyspraxic. And on my podcast, um, Humans of Email, our first interview was with um, Mark Robbins. And we talked about his dyslexia Mm -hmm. and how that has affected his career in both positive and negative Mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. And one question that I asked everyone that I interviewed was, you know, if you could be neurotypical, if you could make this go away, if you could have a brain like the majority of folks in the world, would you would you take it? Hmm. Every single person said, no, I like who I am. And, um, and, and I would never change that. I see advantages in this. Now it's not appropriate to say that this is a superpower for everyone. You know, it's, um, it's personal and some people consider it a disability and for some folks, it's clear to see why it's a disability because all of this stuff comes on a spectrum and it's much more severe for some than others. Yeah. But the folks in our industry who have like agreed to have these conversations with me or, or speaking out in public, uh, they all do consider it an asset. Right. As, as do I.
0: That's awesome. Email is simultaneously highly structured in a complete frickin' mess. Do you think that's part of the reason for that you know, strain that you're calling out about uh, about ne- neurotypical or not in the industry?
1: Yeah, I think depending on your flavor of neurodivergence, you're yeah. either attracted to the, the structural pieces of it or yeah. the chaotic pieces of it <laughs> and yeah. i'm on i'm on team chaos like yeah. i'm great at strategy and um conceiving of new solutions to achieve objectives and and understanding like what tools are at my disposal what could i do with them mm-hmm. what and that has been fun for me you know, i'm mm-hmm. not so hands-on as i used to be i'm more of an educator now mm-hmm. but um yeah i i loved just kind of what can I do? What can I make happen? Like I learned about this solution or that solution. It does this thing. Oh, I bet if I used it to do this, this whatever idea, it would be really successful. And that was really fulfilling for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm terrible at code. I knew just barely enough to like pull together, uh, fluid single column template that I was using for all of my clients back yeah. about 12 years ago mm-hmm. um, which weirdly I had some audiences that were already majority mobile at that point in time but mm. like it, it's it's just fun it's fun it's a it's a puzzle I've said that many times it's 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 something to figure out that other people can't
0: right 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 well that that's a very uh, that the neurodiversity observation it's got me this got me thinking you know why and uh and and all the opportunities out of it out of, out of it um it's like that may be that that may be the next group after women of email
1: <laughs> neurodivergence of email
0: <laughs> or something like that yeah. yeah i
1: think that's that's most of us probably
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't my again my wife my wife actually works with autistic kids she's a paraeducator, so like she spends her whole day with kids who explicitly at you know at their point of development are like, "Ma, you need some extra help." But in in mainstream classroom most of the day, so she's there to uh, support and and uh, help help them along. So a lot of lot of conversations about the things that they're astonishingly good at and the things that are astonishingly hard for them and it's not you know it's not the same set of affordances that many of the other kids in the class may have. Um yeah, yeah. In fact, that's that's fascinating. And and at the same time, not entirely surprising. It's a pleasant surprise, but it's not entirely a surprise for, for, for me to hear you say that because it's a mess. And at the same time, it's structured, it's old school and it's you know glo- global technology uh, platform. And nobody's frickin in charge, which is one of the things I like about it. email. No one's in charge right? Social, you can name the handful of companies that are in charge, right? Search, web. Okay. We know who we're talking about, right? Keep ticking down the list of all of the digital channels out there. The one that has evaded barbed wire so far, at least to a great extent, is email, which is fascinating to me.
1: Because nobody can own it, right? It's a one-to-one relationship and nobody can own that.
0: Hmm. So whether Gmail in this mess Play, Gmail. They play a pretty big, they have a pretty big footprint.
1: They do, but my observation of the ways that they have responded to email marketing needs through the years signals that they know that Gmail users do want marketing emails. And we first saw signs of that in uh, I think it was 2012, 2013. Yeah, when grid, they were when grid view
0: initial proxy. You're talking about how they were handling images early on, or something else?
1: The grid view.
0: Oh, okay. Um, okay.
1: Functionality which never came out of beta, but it was a more visual way to look at the promotions tab. It was more like uh, cards, okay, instead of you know just text. Yeah, there were images associated with it, and it it didn't ever go live. I was a part of the beta, and I was very curious about it. And it was, it was the first sign that Gmail was conceding, like people want marketing mail, and so we're gonna get on board with that. You know, we want to make sure it's it's good. We don't want people being spammed. Um, and and now we've got things like Gmail annotations. You know, there are ways to be highlighted in the inbox. So. Gmail Gmail knows that there's value for the Gmail user. They are signing up for mailing lists. They want right, our right. messages. They want right. quality messages. They don't want garbage messages. They don't want spam. But um, Gmail has to play along because yeah. we I have the same agenda and that is to keep those subscribers happy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would also say that despite the size of their footprint, is, you know, estimated, I've seen estimates as high as like 60% of inboxes now, like 1.7 billion or something like that, like, Ooh, big footprint. Um, the many innovations Gmail's brought to the email space, the ones that have stuck and really succeeded have been what I would call a light touch. Um, like their, uh, their, their, um, algorithmic sp- and behavior based, uh, Spam detection, which is is a good thing. Like people behave better now because Google does a terrific job of going no, no, no. Nobody wants this. Stop doing that. Smack right. Deliverability deliverability goes down, but it's fairly invisible to the guy who's just looking at his Gmail inbox. It's a light touch. Conversely, contrasting amp for email sidebar. Matthew think it's structurally flawed, and I've said so. Um. Not sticking. It's not succeeding. Well, Zero point four percent of people using it.
1: I'm I'm going to be experimenting with it pretty soon. Yeah. Um, Humans of Email. We chose our email service provider because it supported AMP, and it's something we're very curious about. Mm-hmm. And I've been talking about it for a couple of years, and I yeah. want to have that hands-on experience. Yeah. Um, but part of the reason it's not sticking is because the level of effort is high. And email marketers are already spread thin. And also, there are a lot of folks who have a negative sentiment toward Google and they just don't trust them and they don't want to mess around with AMP. They want nothing to do with it. So, yeah, yeah it, it, it's a challenge. It's it's an extra mime type. That's more work. It, and it, are-
0: it, it's also not an email innovation. It's a Gmail innovation. It only, well, It's only going to read and register with the people who happen to get it on a Google Gmail client, someone reading it on their iPhone is not going to see it.
1: That is true. And in an ideal world, we would have some easy way to have an interactive fallback HTML version in addition to AMP. And nobody has figured out how to build that solution and make that easy for email marketers. You yeah. have your AMP version and you have you know, your static HTML, unless you are a, a wonderkind, you know, interactive developer. There are very, very few people who can do interactivity in email. So we don't have great tools yet to take no. advantage of this. No. Uh, Gmail was trying to get support from yeah. Yeah. all of the inbox providers. I mean, for a hot minute, Microsoft yeah. was on board yeah. and now they've pulled out, but we, yep. we've got Yahoo um mail.ru
0: whoops <laughs> russia dead. Russia
1: can get an email but can, can yeah. we get an email to them i don't know um yeah, yeah it, it is kind of sad that like you know they they extended an olive branch yeah. and said let's all work together on this and not everybody was interested in that yeah. seemed like a, a poor move on microsoft's heart but like look at outlook (laughs) Uh,
0: you know i i mean i I don't know if i i I worked at microsoft for most of the 90s so i had some time inside the the belly of the beast which is a very different beast now i'm delighted to say i left because it was big mean and stupid um but that embrace and extend that very careful game about whose standards are going to stick the, the the monopolists have to play that with a very with a very long view. And Microsoft Microsoft actually never said we support AMP. They said we're taking a look. Like you read you read the language, it was, we're taking a look, which means we're gonna stay involved until we've decided whether it fits our long game. And then it said it didn't fit the long game and 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 he yanked out of it. And you know what? Doesn't matter even if they had. With Apple building their brand around privacy now, they will never turn the amp switch on on an iOS device. So this is effectively toast.
1: That's it. You're done with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's toast. And but go back to the more interesting route there is interactivity and email, uh, you know, (laughs) the sacred cup, the holy grail. Uh, Good thing. Do we want that?
1: Yes, we'd love that. It's just too difficult to do. AMP was gonna make it easier. But I mean structural flawed,
0: but yeah, no. I mean it was it was a step in that direction.
1: I can experiment with AMP because there are tools that are available that are gonna make it possible for me to experiment with AMP. I can't experiment with interactivity in any meaningful way because. I don't have that coding expertise and I'm never going to gain it's, it.
0: It's not, even, it's not even a question of coding expertise, Jen. It, it's actually, it's a really simple thing. Email is D-U-M-B. There is no language. There is no scripting in email. So the reason interactivity is hard is because you need logic and intelligence and data handling. None of those things are present. Email is D-U-M-B dumb because it doesn't allow scripting. AMP was an attempt to introduce a very, very constrained uh sub sub subset of javascript scripting and let it run inside gmail that's actually my beef with it was the sub sub subset things like i don't need another freaking language especially one with artificial constraints but the reason interactivity doesn't work in emails because we've kept it dumb the reason your inbox doesn't spy on you in the way people think it does is because it's dumb And I, well, I mean that in a technical sense. it's- Our it,
1: inboxes were spying on us more a few years ago. I mean, Gmail. You literally, you literally get that down.
0: You literally get yeah, you literally get one signal, and it's an accident through because of the HTTP versus the HTTP protocol. You literally get a yes/no signal, like it's literally the one boolean binary. You get opened, didn't open, and that's that's it. You open a web browser, there are twenty-seven JavaScripts on average sending a lot of data a lot of other places when you open a web page
1: well for a while there were like inbox organizers that were spying on people sure for the purpose of spying on them and collecting client level yeah yeah and um people were like "Ooh, you know free app let me sign up for this and i I remember like warning people in my network who were not in digital marketing like don't install those apps don't use those apps they're screen grabbing your personal email Mm -hmm. this is a privacy issue there's a security issue just don't do it and multiple people said to me well i've got nothing to hide and I'm like, well, I do. I mean, like my <laughs> whole life is in my personal email, you know, correspondence with friends and family and doctors and all of my everything. purchase history, all of this yeah. data. Yeah, This everything. is very private yeah. data that yeah. I don't want in anyone else's hands. What do you mean you have nothing to hide?
0: And at the same time, 1.7 billion people have G- have Google handling their email. And as you said, seriously, as you said, a lot of them are, are there's a strain of, uh, I'm not so sure about Google handling, et cetera. It's such a fantastic email client. That's pretty tempting, right? Um, I think worrying about whether or not Google's reading my receipts is a misunderstanding of, of where they're going to get value out of it. They're going to get value at a pattern level and, and a target level, not a sp- sort of specific data set level. But, um, but we do have a ton of people trusting it's not just an email client. It's like the whole buckets there right all those bits are sitting up in google's cloud
1: hmm. i mean just think about everything that's on our phone is also in a cloud
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: i i had a nightmare once years ago that uh i was consulting for the government and we were uh capturing data from citizens their all of their behavioral signals online and we were creating uh like algorithms to detect propensity to want to revolt against the government and so people were being segmented by you know high propensity to revolt versus you know people who are just gonna go along with whatever rules are imposed on them, the authoritarian contingent, and you know some extra levels of in-betweenness. And I realized that my behavioral signals were going to tip off the government, that I fell into that high propensity to revolt bucket. <laughs> and I, I needed to start uh, doing various behaviors to change my score. And so that I would be reclassified into a different segment to show a lower risk to the government. And I think that this would be an incredible episode of Black Mirror.
0: (laughs) It would. It's also a day in the life of your average citizen of China. I mean, honest to God, what you just described, social scoring. Yeah. It's like, that's how it works. Like... You know, I'm an American. I'm like, ooh, bad. Don't want that, right? But honestly, that's normal in some places. I'm disappointed, but it's normal in some places. And we like, we didn't realize we were building the panopticon, did we? Shit.
1: <laughs> I, I think also, like, I was working for a ginormous tech company at the time, mm-hmm. and um, not feeling great about, you know, what happens in a place like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I guess it. I probably shouldn't get into detail about what <laughs> I mean by that, but like you know, capitalism rules, and uh, you know, I was doing projects that I didn't necessarily want any involvement with, and, yeah. and just didn't yeah. feel good about. Yeah. And the some of the things that are done for the sake of doing business and turning a profit. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't want to be. A, I. I don't want to shamelessly just do whatever yeah to get paid. I want to feel good about the work I do and so I it was a very conscious decision to move away from yeah. a ginormous tech company yeah. and go then to startups and then to strike out on my own.
0: We've seen and we've we're seeing some employee activism. It, it's it sort of it, it hooks into the conversation we were having about about the visibility of compensation, I think. Like we're seeing people not, not across the board, but people who say, I work here, but I'm not okay with that behavior. And, and it's in some cases, it seems like it's, it's steering change. In other cases, you have people fired as well. So I I I don't know where it's going to go, where it's going to trend. I do think in this, I'm gonna go ahead and say it post pandemic that we're starting to head into. Can't wait. Um, I, I do think talent's going to have a, a much bigger lever. Because we're already seeing that. Yeah. Yeah, which is great. Which is great. But it means that that you know, the ethics, the the backbone of the talent is going to matter. And there's no guarantee that because someone's good at something, uh that, that they're necessarily going to make good decisions on uh, uh, on that front. You know what I mean?
1: Right. And we're seeing now like DEI leaders, you know, becoming important roles in, in many companies. Um, I've seen a lot of folks who they kind of burn the bridge down on their way out the door because something has happened that they find ethically or morally mm-hmm. repugnant and, yeah. and they let the world know as they're yeah. exiting, there's no fear of that haunting them and their future opportunities. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, can a company come after you for doing something like that? I mean, only if you're making it up, probably. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. They, they can try to buy your silence, um, which is what usually happens. There's so yeah. much that goes on behind closed doors that, you know, someone says, hey, this I've got an issue here. Well, let's make you an offer and you need to quietly go away.
0: Yeah, and stay quiet um, when you go away. <laughs> Right, right.
1: Because you can't get paid if you, you yeah. know, blast yeah. it out to the world. Yeah. But you sure can feel good about it, and it could very much lead to a more lucrative opportunity if a company is looking for someone like you. Um, and you've, you know, made a big to do, and and you want to go someplace where you feel more valued. It's mm. the world is changing, and yeah, power is shifting to the employees.
0: It, for now, I, I I I agree, and I and I and I hope that that's. I hope there's some semblance of a of a permanent shift there you know as at lived lived you know lived as long as I have in the country I was born in it does seem like the middle class has kind of gotten the crap kicked out of it for a few decades and I'd like to see some shift back away from that and I do think I do think corporations it's easy to demonize corporations I own one right uh, corporations have done a lot of stuff that I wish they, I wish there were more guardrails for them. And this 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 shift to talent people having some leverage in the negotiation is is a good one, for me, at least.
1: Well, it would be impossible to attract and retain quality talent if you don't adjust to these new norms and expectations. Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty simple to treat people with respect, to pay them what they're worth. Mm-hmm and to give them the resources they need to do their job and to build a team that each person is bringing something unique to the table. That's diverse teams are a business benefit. They have better problem solving capacity. They generate more revenue if you have a culture in which people are comfortable speaking up and you're being very conscious about Bringing together very different people yeah. to work together towards solving problems.
0: Yeah, there's what's the company? There's a company. God, I want to say it's AutoCAD. I could be completely wrong about it. There's a company who specifically hires neurodiverse because they've realized they're gonna get they're gonna get super and different and better results by having. A a deliberate spread like it's literally we would love to have someone who doesn't think like the other six people who are already on the team. Yay. But, you know, would you please join our crew?
1: Uh, I'm not aware of anyone who's being really proactive in that, but um, I can definitely vouch that, that that divergent thinker is going to (laughs) come up with some interesting ideas, not all of which are good, but they can, you know, some of which are good, but it can like inspire, um, then the rest of the team to go, Oh, well, I hadn't thought about it that way. What about this? What about this? And then collectively continue to refine it. So yeah, there's a lot of value in having that neurodivergent, um, (laughs) person on the team, but you cannot ask people about that. Hey, by the way, are you ADHD? Like, no, that's not on the job application. Um, there, most people will not disclose it. They, because there can be repercussions. Mm -hmm. Um, and there, there's a lot of bias that keeps neurodivergent people from getting job opportunities because, uh maybe they don't behave the way that you would expect. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so there's like a little bit of bias. This person doesn't seem like a culture fit. They seem a little strange. Yeah. That was a yeah. problem for me professionally, especially really? early yeah. in my career. Yeah, I was never a culture fit. I was first runner up for all of these opportunities. Hmm. And I just ended up in the crappiest job that where I barely made any money, but where I I did finally have some freedom to, um, create and think and fill gaps and, and just conceive of new ideas and make things happen, but I wasn't getting paid Jack for it, you know, and, and that, that sucked there. There's a, yeah, there's a huge hiring bias against folks who are neurodivergent. And then once they're in place, they, there can be other obstacles. Um, you know, for instance, I cannot. Do an expense report to save my life. It is it just this barrier. I can't do it. It is so hard. And I have lost thousands of dollars personally as a result. And, you know, when I ask for help, what do I get? No, just do it. Right. Or there are some consequences. If you do it late, then you're going to be taxed on the money that you get. Yeah, And, uh, you know, there's it, it's asking for an accommodation. You can be rejected. Do you disclose that you are different and that what you are asking for is genuinely an accommodation? Like th- yeah. there's risk involved. So it's huh. it's, it, it's a very complex situation. I I actually recently was introduced to, um, an HR and recruiting expert who is really getting into the whole, uh, how do you recruit and retain neurodiverse folks? And Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a part of a couple of podcasts that she has coming up because DEI is such a hot topic right now, but this is the piece that nobody's talking about yet.
0: Interesting. So many opportunities there too. Interesting. I hadn't thought of expensive, but I mean, I've missed many of them, but it's because I fricking despise the, like, I just, like, ah, I just don't want to, <laughs> I just don't want to,
1: ah, hate them. You, you might be one of us. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I like the, I like the neurodiverse term because I do think it's one hell of a, of an interesting n-dimensional rainbow and, you know, people I know with, call it a neurodiverse they're they're particularly good at this. I'm like, that's just cool. I'm not good at that, but that's really cool that they're good at that. I had my I had an I had an, an aunt. My only my only uh whatever that structural family relationship is, my mom's sister was um she she would be called severely retarded, like Special Olympics, etc. But she'd kick everyone's ass at a jigsaw puzzle. It was amazing. She'd just go beep boop beep boop beep. boop. <laughs>
1: holy crap, <laughs> that's cool. There's actually some stats that um, folks who are entrepreneurial have like a 30% higher chance of being neurodivergent.
0: Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah, that uh, in some ways not surprising, right, for that. Yeah, not surprising. I know a fair number, quite a fair number of entrepreneurs. Yeah, and, and they don't tend to be the ones who – Sat comfortably and got A's. That's for damn sure, mm-hmm. <laughs> right?
1: And and there's something that they saw an opportunity. They didn't like the way something was going in the world, and they decided to strike out on their own because they had a different way of looking at it. And mm-hmm. yeah, makes yeah. a lot of sense. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Wait a minute. Why is everybody doing it that way? It makes more sense to me to do it this way. I'll go ahead, do it that way. Yeah. Yeah, which we mm-hmm. should uh, encourage and celebrate, and all that other stuff. Well, I knew I'd be guilty of tying up more than an hour of your time, even though we hadn't talked before. Because it was like, "Yeah, we're gonna have a really good time." But maybe we gotta wrap this one up and make it an episode, so we've got a shot at someone actually listening to the whole thing. What do you think?
1: Hey, if the conversation is interesting, then folks will listen all that's, the way
0: through. That's yeah, that's 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 true. And we did we did end up talking about email a bit, so. All right, We did, we did the job. Um, don't go away, but I'm going to hit the end of the record button. All right. If someone's interested, Jen, in women of email, where should they go? Look, because you know, I'm never going to join. Just got to tell you. But if someone else is interested, where do they go hunt down membership details?
1: Uh, well, there's two things you want to do. First of all, you want to join our Facebook group. Okay. And uh, there's just a couple of screening questions to confirm that you are eligible to join our community um, and because it is a curated community. Mm-hmm. We don't just accept anyone who clicks the join button. So look for the Facebook group. And then if you go to womenofemail.org, there's an application there. It's absolutely free to join. We do ask for a lot of details so that Mm -hmm. you can be in our database and that will make you eligible for our programs, like our speakers bureau Mm -hmm. and our scholarship program. Um, we'll be firing our, um, mentoring program back up at some point and, um, uh, different programming and events and so forth. So, um, yeah, complete the application at women of email.org. And then everybody is a part of the Facebook community. And, uh, that's, that's what we're best known for is yeah. this very uplifting and supportive community. And I think we've got, we're approach- approaching 8,000 in the Facebook community wow. and we've got over 6,000 who are official members official and in our members. database. Mm-hmm.
0: And why the goat?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you that uh, the symbolism of the goat has evolved with time. The origin story <laughs> is something that we only share face to face at industry events, and and we don't share it with non-members. But the origin story is actually not so interesting anymore. With time, the goat has come to symbolize upward ascension against all odds. So goats are. Climbing mountains. Say, I've met
0: some goats. They're gonna get where they want to go, aren't they? <laughs> they're ascending.
1: They're they're climbing trees. They're, they're climbing, they're climbing trees. other farm animals. Yes, they they yes. are always looking for a high point to mm. get to, and sometimes it's a it's a bit mind blowing. You know, have you seen the goats who can like shear cliffs? It, it just looks like a wall, and yeah. they are climbing it. And so, yes. yeah, there are extra obstacles for women to ascend in their careers and, mm-hmm. and the goats have, have become a nice. symbol of that.
0: Nice, nice. Well, I'll hit stop. Thank you, Jen Capstraw, women of email, my guest for today. Mom.